You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. Happy Father's Day. You know, really, uh, we're about God because we know that as a father myself, it's great to have my daughters here today. I got three awesome, beautiful daughters. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting day because you're excited about the day. But at the same time, I know that we have different feelings about Father's Day uh, because we're human. As dads, we do the best that we can as we're going to look at through scriptures here. But uh, it points us really to someone who's greater than us. And I remember as a college student going to service for my first time in 1988. And I still remember the sermon was by a good friend of mine now. His name is Frank Kim. And uh, I went into service and he did a Father's Day sermon. And I had a really difficult relationship with my dad. I was number seven out of uh, eight kids. And by the time my dad got to me, he was kind of tired. You know, I was kind of on my own. And I still remember even, uh, this is really a terrible example, so don't listen to this. But even as a uh, middle school kid, you know how it is when you get these little letters that you got assigned by your parents? Well, I forged my dad's signature so well that I just signed everything. Field trip? Great. Awesome. How's the kid doing? Fantastic. Ken's doing great. You know, literally, I'm not kidding. I, I signed my dad's name. And uh, I remember going to college and just thinking that I really didn't have a relationship with my dad. My family was pretty dysfunctional. Um, grew up in a war-torn Vietnam. Emigrated to America in 1975 when the war was about to end. And my father at that time was just trying to find work and trying to get his life together as a, as a middle-aged man. And there are so many dy- dynamics, different things, the English and you know, the language barrier and different things. And I really got disconnected with my dad for many, many years. And I remember that first sermon that I went to in 1988. And I remember what Frank shared about. He shared about how our fathers on earth, they do the best that they can. And... Uh, you know, where they fall short, that our Heavenly Father is more than able to make that up. I don't know what it is. It was just one simple sentence, but it, it clicked for me. It made sense to me. And, um, you know, I went back to my dad and just had great talks from that moment on. And just, just seeing my father and parenting from God's perspective. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, today, is, is the Father's love. And I know a lot of us come in here today with different levels of closeness to our dad or, or lack of or a lot of relationship, great relationship with our dad or had none or difficult relationship. And I hope that today as we look at the Father's love, that's going to give us a basis, that's going to give us a foundation from which we look at all of our relationships, including our Father on earth here. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, we love you. Uh, God, we know that you are gracious and kind. By the fact that we are here today, God, we have friends and family and the community, and we have your word that we can go back to. We're not alone. I remember my father, he must have been so alone. He didn't have you, God. He did the best that he could. And I tell my kids all the time, God, how grateful they should be because I, I, I have you. And that the mistakes that I make, 
I have people in my life who can help me. And we have this community that spur one another on towards love and good deeds. God, no matter where we are coming in today from, I pray that we can fix our eyes on you and fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter and the author of our faith, and help us to learn today what an incredible father you are and to make decisions, God, today to really follow you for the rest of our lives and to really teach our children, starting today, just the greatness of your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Father's love. You know, I love the scripture because in so many ways it seems the reverse, isn't it? It says, children's children are the crown of the age. That, that makes sense. You know, we were at Renee's uh, grandmother's baptism on Friday. And we packed our house, all these Latin brothers and sisters. And uh, we're moving out, so we don't really care. So we party, you know. And our neighbors are like, they're over there, they're over there. But uh, Renee's grandmother was so proud that her daughter is a disciple and that Renee is a disciple as well. And uh, that's children's children's are the crown of the age. That makes sense. But this next part here, I want us to focus on. It says, and parents are the pride of their children. Right? We oftentimes think that it's the opposite, right? We look at our kids, we go, well, they're, they're our pride. You know, what they do, really, you know, it's a reflection on us. But this passage flips it and said that actually children has an innate, has an innate desire to lift up their parents. Has an innate desire to really look at their parents and say, man, I hope I got a good one. You know, so when they come out of the womb, they go, I wish I got a good one. And, uh, and here's good news, that whether we have not fulfilled our role as a parent or have fallen short, there's a lot of grace. And where we start, it doesn't mean that that's where we can end as well. We can have a new start today. But I love this passage. Parents are the pride, and I see that. You know, we have two, you know, we have Elizabeth just graduated from college, Nicole's who's a sophomore. We have little Gabby, five years old. I've seen that. I've seen that over the years and how, how much they really want to, to look up to us as parents. And we're not alone. And I, I look at Jesus' ministry and I look at Jesus' interaction with his father. And these are the words that he shared as he was with us on earth. And he's trying to communicate to us what his father is like. And at the beginning of his prayer, I love this. It says that and when you pray... Do not keep babbling like the pagans. Trying to earn God's, you know, like trying to fight for you know how loud and, and, you know, try to fight for God's attention. He says, you don't need to do that. And it's a glimpse of who our Heavenly Father is and the kind of heart that He has for us. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Before you even ask him. What was, what was Jesus trying to do? He was trying to show people the Father's love. He says, my Father's not like that. You don't have to fight with him. You don't have to, you know, argue with him. He loves you and he knows what you not want sometimes, but he knows exactly what you need. That's who my Father is. He's thinking about you. He cares about you. He has you in his heart. And this is Jesus' prayer. 
He says, our Father in heaven, and even just the word itself. You know, our God, which is certainly true, God is our Father. You know, God is the Lord. God is all these things, but Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, we don't use that word very much anymore, right? It's an old word. But the reason why it has, it is in the Bible is why? It's because we haven't figured out a better word for it. Because if we have, we would have substituted it. But it's such an incredible word. It, 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 it connotes so many different aspects of his relationship with God that the interpreters left that in. Hallowed be your name. That's a good word study. Holy be your name. Honored be your name. All these different things come into mind. And look at how, the, how Jesus says he honors God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it gives us a glimpse of how Jesus worshiped God. How Jesus honors God. Not only with words, but with what? He says, your kingdom come and your will be done. That you sense that Jesus and his father were one together. Not only in words, but in heart, thoughts, and action as well. That's how we can get really a glimpse of Jesus' ministry, but Jesus' heart for his own Father. You know, it has been said that uh, parents drive their kids to school, but kids drive their parents to God. It is a tough job. Being a parent. And some of you guys, you know, you, don't, you, don't, you won't experience it until you have kids of your own. Some of the teens and college students in here, you worry about them. I mean, you just cannot help but worry. You know, last night, uh, Elizabeth went down, uh, yesterday she went down to UC San Diego to pick up Nicole. And you've got to balance it out, right? You've got to balance out when you, you pull that dad cart and you go, you know what, I commend you not to drive anymore, you know, or something like that, right? But she drove down there in the morning, and the plan was she was going to come back at 6, you know, when it's still daylight. But, you know, sure enough, you know, uh, by 11, they were still in San Diego. 12, they were midnight, they were still in San Diego. You know, and, uh, you know, I worry. It's late. Kids, you know, that's the time when... Young drivers, you know, not inexperienced, but just younger drivers have the most accidents is at night. Some states have even tried to do a little curfew where if you are a beginning driver, you can only drive up to 11 p.m. or whatever. But you worry about stuff like that all the time. It's a lot better now. But back then, when she was driving, and obviously you don't want to text, right? I akin it to like the space shuttle. You remember the space shuttle? As they're out in, the out, out, you know, in space, as Chris is talking about, but they're trying to come back into Earth, there's this, this is liminal moment where they're going through the atmosphere and you cannot have any communication. As a parent, sometimes it feels a little bit like that. It's like, it's like oh my gosh, I hope the ship doesn't burn up. You know, you're, just, you're just biting your nails. And so, and so many things like that. You know, Gabby has a little tummy ache and she's had it for about a month and... You know, Francine is Gabby's doctor, and, you know, she's not in here, so I, I think it's okay, but it's kind of gross, you know? So we have to collect these specimens and stuff like that. You know, stick it in the refrigerator. It's kind of gross, all right? But anyways, 
Those, you do that as parents, right? You put stuff in your refrigerator that you otherwise would do. That's what parents do. I don't understand how people can do it without God. I really can't. And I'm not saying that as a religious person. I think overall in history, it's just tough being a dad because you're struggling with your own self. And you have to set an example for these little guys in your life. Kids drive their parents to God. They do. They really do. The Economic and Social Research Council had this survey, and it says that children would involve fathers of less emotional and behavioral difficulties in adolescence. Teens who feel close to their fathers in adolescence go on to have more satisfactory adult marital relationships. Girls who have strong relationship with their fathers during adolescence show a lack of psychological distress in adult life, and they tend to be less promiscuous as well because they're not out looking for this love or they're not out to try to get love as they've already gotten that from their father, that, that kind of parental uh, fatherly love. It's important. These are stats that the world finds out, the scientific community finds out, the social economic, the social sciences finds out that what the Bible talks about for thousands of years, that we need great parenting, we need great fathers who really model uh, their parenting after God's parenting. Now, there's a lot of times we kind of focus on bad news, right? But here's some good news, actually, in society, because I think that people have figured that out. As you look at this graph here in 75, the average you know, time that mothers and fathers spent with their, their kids are a lot less than you know, now. I think we've figured out some things as a society. Not all things are bad. Technology is awesome. Social sciences is great. I think we find out some things, and as you see by the year 2000, um, the hours that are spent with our, our kids overall in society has grown. That's good news. Here's another stat that I found interesting, and it was done by uh, the Promise Keepers and the Baptist Press, and there are so many other similar studies that have done in the same way, stressing the importance of fathers and how they have such a profound, profound impact on their kids' spirituality and, and just their moral compass. They found out that this is the percentage of children attending church when they are grown up. Not only when they're kids, but when they're grown out, out of the household. They found out that when the mother is the main person in the house of, of driving the family's spiritual sense, going to church and, 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 and really reading the Bible, they said that about 15% of children who attend church and follow that when they were kids, when their mom was the dominant person, about 15% of them uh, grow up. To, to go to church or to follow in that footsteps. But it jumps all the way up to about 55% when it's the father. When the father is the main person in the home that drives the moral compass, when the father is the one that seeks, that tries to seek a relationship with God, the impact is so much more, so much greater. How they did that, I have no no clue. I mean, I have some ideas on the methodology of it, but 
you know, but this is the, you know, promise keepers and they're pretty reputable. And actually the Swiss government did a study on this and found it very similar as well. There is a need for involvement. That's why we read that scripture about Jesus and his father. It's, it's involvement. Jesus is the son of God. He wasn't out here being a maverick doing his own thing. There was a reliance on his father, God of heaven. Here's what the Bible teaches us. I know there are a lot of young fathers here today. You know, we went camping with the Leitners, and it was great just to see them, you know, work with their daughters and, and their kids, and it's awesome. But I love scriptures that hopefully, you know, there's a humility that comes from being a father, and it drives us more and more closer to God. The book of Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The Bible says that there is a balance, if you will, on parenting. Not so that we're so strict and so afraid that our kids are making a mistake that we're just, just man, just one way or so lenient that there is no guidance at all. The Bible says that, hey, look, do not exasperate. Do not, and that word in the Greek means do not drive your kids to anger. And so many parents do that today. And I have as well. And I always joke around with Elizabeth about the Old Testament scripture where it says, you know, the older one gets a double portion in the inheritance. And as I've gotten older as my parenting, I finally figured out why. It's because of all the damage that I've done to the first one. All the times that I've dropped them and all the times that I've done stupid things and made a mountain out of a molehill and disciplined for no apparent reason because I was angry and because I, I wanted to look good in front of somebody. So there are, at the end of the father's life, when he has three children, he would divide the inheritance into four parts, and he gives two of those to the older son or daughter. I figured out why. It's, it's to get the mental help that they need from the damage that I've done. That's basically it. <laughs> Double portion, Elizabeth. You get two sessions probably out of that. Right? So it's, it's a skill that is needed. Not so lenient that there's no moral compass, but not so strict that, that you embitter your children. And that word is not talking about driving your kids to anger like they're really mad at you for a minute, but it, it's a long, sustained anger, bitterness in the hearts. And that's what we've got to really be careful about, brothers, is that we've really got to examine our parenting and really figure out how to, how to not go down that road. And how do we do that? Is by bringing them up, rearing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I, I want to posit this, that it is really unfair to, to discipline kids when you and I have not put in the time to train or instruct them and just expect them it's, it's really unfair. I think it's really unfair to have this expectation of them, but it's based on not this kind of love, this kind of, of care, but how they make you look. A lot of parents do that too. And I remember when we were in Tokyo together, Elizabeth was about three years old, and 
you know, she was kind of playing and we were in the office and my boss was around at that time and, and she was, you know, she wasn't acting up or anything like that. But I just remember when my boss walked in, there was such a, a, a nervousness that came about me. Afraid that Elizabeth was going to, you know, like act out or cry or whatever. And I remember just thinking to myself, what am I doing? What a fool that I care more about what this man thinks of me than what's really best for my own daughter. So that was really a monumental moment for me, is to really make that decision. I'm going to care about my kid more than what people think about me. And I tend to be extreme, so I pinched Elizabeth, made her cry. Go ahead, Elizabeth, cry. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But that was a really monumental time for me. And I love this next passage here. It says, you know, for you know, as Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and this is an ancient Eastern man, right? Stoic, perhaps, you know, staunch. But look what he said. He says that, for you know how we dealt with each of you as a father. This is the biblical perspective of what fatherly love is. Deals with his own children. Encouraging. We have really, become, we need to become expert in the art of encouraging. Don't you think? There are so many discouraging things today. I don't even look when I look at the webpage. I mean, sometimes I look at the, you know, the comments and stuff like that. It's just bad. Encouraging our children. Comforting and urging as well. You see the balance there? There's expectation there. You live lives worthy of God who calls you into the kingdom and glory. I know this is corny. Please bear with me. I'm 50 years old. I love 70s and 80s songs. I have three daughters. This is one of my favorite songs. And I think it makes a good illustration of what the scriptures talks about. And it's talking about a parent who's consoling, you know, his or her little daughter who's gone through some things. And, you know, it's such a great theme. I mean, I know you think I'm corny, but this is one of the best plays musical in Broadway, right? Mamma Mia? Right? So I'm not that weird. All right? I love the words. So their, their daughter's going through something, right? And he goes, Chiquitita, tell me what's wrong. Don't laugh at my Spanish. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're, you're unchained by your own sorrow. In your eyes, there is no hope for tomorrow. How I hate to see you like this. There is no way you can deny it. I can see that you're oh so sad, so quiet. It's a parent looking at his or her child and putting herself in, in their shoe and seeing the pain and the, the struggles that they go through. Every parent knows this, right? You see your kid and you just want to shake them up and you want to encourage them and you want to be there for them and somehow you, you want to go to that school and beat up that bully and you know, Gabby went to teen camp, uh, cheer camp this past week and there was a, there was a, a kid that kind of bullied her a little bit and Lena went there and met the kid and a little beat down there. No, I'm just, you didn't do that. But you know, like kind of stared at her a little bit. You know, we want to be there, right? Chiquitita. <laughs> you and I know. How the heartaches come and they go and the scars that they leave. You'll be dancing once again and the pain will end. 
You have no time for grieving. Chikatita. You and I cry when the sun is still in the sky and shining above you. Let me hear you sing once more like you did before. Sing a song, a new song. Chikitita. I'm coming after you. I see you. All right. I love that, don't you think? It's a parent trying to console, urge, and encourage and comfort at the same time. Okay, well, maybe that didn't work. It worked for me. All right. <laughs> I love that. First Timothy 1, verse 15. It says, the goal of this command is what? Is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For a lot of parents, this is it. It, it, it. The goal of it. The methodology might be a little bit wrong. The words might not be the best words chosen. But the goal of this command is love. And it comes from a good conscience and a sincere faith. And although we worry about that, you know, as we seek for God, and that's who we're talking about today, because everything points to God, the goal of God's command is love. It is perfect. It does come from a good conscience. So when we read the scriptures in our relationship with God, we don't have to doubt, you know, does he have my best interest in mind? Yes, he does. So we look for that. And we trust in that as well. I love this passage because it shows who God is. He's not this soft Santa Claus up in the sky, always encouraging, only, only you know, saying everything's right. No, he's not like that. There's a balance there that we're talking about today. There is a time when God's going to say, I allowed this to happen in your life. I allowed this to, to, to really teach you some things in your life. And that's a parental thing that's really, really hard. Letting go. And letting people experience as part of their growth process. And God does that with us. And his next passage here shows us, this is my son. Do not make lights of the Lord's discipline and do not lose hearts when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one, the, the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. That's what I appreciate about my relationship with God. You see, I told you, when I was growing up, my father left me alone. I mean, I, he was just busy and I don't Blame my dad. It was just time, constraint, life. It started that way, but it didn't have to end that way. That God is our perfect father. God is the one that we need to hold on to. God is the one that in his perfection is the perfect parent. And in God's perfection, he says, Listen, sometimes I'm going to have to discipline you. Sometimes I have to let things go. Because a good parent takes the time to discipline the one he loves. So next time when you see something in your life, that you go, wow, this is really hard. Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Think about it. Because he disciplines the ones he loves. He's not trying to protect you and shield you from everything. He allows things to get in, to get us stronger, to get us to be more faithful to him, to be faithful to each other. I love God. 
I've seen so many discipline in my life, and it's not easy, but it's good. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirit, spirits and live? Our human fathers discipline us for a little while as they thought best. They did the best that they could. They have their own demons that they struggle with. But they did the best that they could. But God says, you know what? I got a better plan for you. But God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in His holiness. You see, the goal of God's discipline is what? So that our spirits will live forever. It's not just this lifetime that God disciplines us for. He's preparing us for something much more lasting. And I appreciate Chris's, you know, his, 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 his comments about, I got a PhD. He says, but even that, as I look around, as I think about it this past year, after achieving this, this pinnacle of American education, this, this piece of paper that people from around the world longs to have, the potential of earning a great income, setting up for life, and he goes, what? It's, it's really not all, all that. And God disciplines us for something greater than this life. Amen? That's a good father to prepare us. That's a good father. He's not remiss. He's a good father. He spends the time. But here's how he does it, though. Furthermore, when Jesus was here on earth, he was sent by the Father, as Chris said, to die for us, because that's ultimately what he did. Because, as Paul said, without the resurrection, we're wasting our time. This is his self-help. The biggest section of, of the bookstore is the self-help section. We're going way beyond that. It's not just to get us passed through chow-rearing and getting him out and into an empty nester stage so that we can go on vacation and play golf and, you know, that's it. It's much, much more than that. When Jesus was here, as he died for us, he spent three years in his public ministry. And the goal of it is what? So that people will see the Father through him. And sometimes we miss that, as Philip shows as all the years that he's been with Jesus, maybe a couple years by this juncture of his ministry, he says, Lord, show us the Father that we that would be enough for us. And I think it hurt Jesus' feelings because it's like, man, you still don't get it, Philip. And he turns around and he says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, everyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I want to transition here to those that are studying the Bible, that perhaps have not studied the Bible so far. That Jesus came here on earth to be not just a bunch of words, but to live out life as a model for us. And I'll be honest, I think sometimes as, as Christians, I think we take that for granted. We don't value the Word of God that much that the way we should. You know, I want to lift up a kid from Pepperdine. His name is Harry. He's sitting right there in the corner. He brought his dad here. He didn't know I was going to do this. So he's like, leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> you didn't tell me this. But I appreciate Harry. Harry didn't come from a Christian background. But we've had a chance to study the Bible together with some of the kids on campus. 
And I preach it every, every time you ask him to, to read the scripture, whether it's Ecclesiastes or the book of Psalms or, or Genesis, he comes back the next time with an outline of the book. The last thing we did was, uh, I think it was the book of Romans. He came back and said, oh yeah, in this chapter it talks about baptism, it talks about this, what does this mean? It's, and then I got Kenny in there to study with him, and Kenny says, that was really refreshing to study with somebody that actually loves the Word of God and appreciates it. You know, meet Harry, he's, he's sitting back there. But Peter, you know, Jesus was like, Philip, I'm, I'm, I'm the Father, our one. I'm going to take another shot at this, okay? But I'm going to set you up as we close on out. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and the earth that does not live in temples and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life, everyone life and breath and everything else. And we're going to kind of go, come full circle here. We don't need to go to God, as Jesus said at the beginning, babbling and tell, give me this, give me that. You know, oh, I hope you can give me this. It'll be great. God already knows what we need. And he says, listen, he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need that. All right? He wants to give us something. But here's the condition. He respects us as a, as a parent. And he says, from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. If you are studying the Bible today, God is not going to force you. He is hovering around. You might go, oh, that was God. It was. Why are you here not just today here, but why are you living in perhaps one of the most free countries in the world where the gospel is given freely? This is not the norm for many other countries. Maybe this is your opportunity. But he says that he's setting everything up so that perhaps we would reach out to him. Give me another shot. I know that last song was a little bit old. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to update my song a little bit. This is another one of my favorite songs. And I think about my daughters, and I want to dedicate this to my daughter, daughters. And I know so many fathers here, and I, I'm so grateful I have this, this chance to speak. I know so many fathers in here as well would love to dedicate this to their kids as we close on out. And singers, sorry, I forgot, there's no Luke. Uh, you can come up at this time. It says, I hope that you never lose your sense of wonder. You get your fill to eat, but you always keep that hunger. May you never take one single breath for granted. God forbid love ever leave you empty-handed. I hope that you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. Whenever one door closes, I hope that one more opens. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get that choice to sit it out or to dance, that I hope that you dance. And I hope that you dance. I hope that we all dance. Amen? God bless. You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. 
for more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.